Welcome to Between Race and Reason. I'm your host, London Donson, and thank you for joining me. Uh, before we get started, I really just want to say thank you to everyone who's been around for the past two years. Uh, the podcast started in February of 2021, so we're just shy of, of two years for the quote-unquote anniversary. And whether it's your first time, whether it's your millionth time listening to the podcast, thank you for all the support that you've been able to give me. I know that the podcast started as a short form, you know, 10 minutes or less, you know, let's get in and out. And over the past, you know, eight months or so, I've kind of leaned more towards long format interviews. I think I've found some really great people uh, who have some really great perspective and I've really been enjoying um, having these conversations, which to me is really what it's all about. We need to be able to have these conversations, and hopefully this podcast helps you do that. For the podcast today, I interviewed a friend of mine named Keller, who is non-binary, and we talk a lot about what it means to really classify ourselves, categorize ourselves and what the importance of that is. And we had a really good conversation about, you know, what it means to be non-binary or trans or LGBTQ and what all of those intersectionalities have to do with, uh, with race. We spoke for probably about two hours during the initial interview. And the, this podcast is not two hours, um, as you might have noticed already, but um, I really think that you're going to enjoy it. Well, hello, Keller. Hi, thank, London. Thank you so much for being on my podcast. Sure. Thank you um, for being here on my couch. Oh, yeah. Your couch, I mean, your couch is great. Your room is amazing. Um, I know that there are probably some people who are going to listen to this who do know you. Um, and for those people who do know Keller, like I do, um, you probably know it is a privilege. Um, but it's a great privilege to be here in their room, um, which is um, amazing. It's kind of a mess, but like in the best way. Like, I feel like I'm learning so much about them <laughs> from just sitting here. <laughs> um, it's really fantastic. Um, but yeah, uh, so what would you say is the essential information to know about Keller? If you had to describe that to someone else, like someone who didn't, who doesn't know you. Yeah. Um, oh, geez. I feel like that's a, it's a broad category <laughs> of stuff. Um, well, my name is Keller. I'm non-binary i use they them pronouns um i have a lot of craft related hobbies especially like fiber arts stuff mm -hmm. um i'm from colorado i came up to montana for school and then i just kind of stayed here and i currently work as a paraeducator um but most of my jobs have been in sort of similar fields like i've worked at a summer camp and as a caregiver and that kind of stuff we're to the pov the poverella oh, yeah. center here forgot about that somehow yeah, yeah somehow right. you forgot about the poverella center um Just which like, is cut that whole year out of my brain for about a minute <laughs> would you classify that as a, as a homeless shelter is... yeah homeless shelter okay yeah. yeah um shelter for those experiencing homelessness well like i said thank you so much for being willing to do this um we were at western cider uh that had to be like was that about a month ago now I feel like it was just um, like two weeks or something, Was it just two right? weeks ago? What is time? I don't wow. even know what time is. We started having this conversation about the child that you work with. Oh, yeah. This one one girl at the school. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I have a pronoun pen that says they, them, that I wear to work every day in the hopes that someone will exhibit reading comprehension. 
<laughs> so, some people have. <laughs> okay. One of one of my coworkers has a non-binary child, and I I feel like the staff at the school have had some sort of training around that because there's like, you know, there's like signs and flags, and people have corrected themselves. So like, you know, pretty good overall. Yeah. Um. Anyways, how that pin? Twenty twenty two. We're learning as best as we can. Yeah. yeah. And um. I work at the special ed program and we have, uh, you know, I mean, a, w- a wide variety of students. Uh, a lot of the students have um, autism and um, one, of, one of the girls who has autism. And that's relevant because she has trouble with like things that don't fit neatly into boxes. Okay. Like she, she really wants things to like be very black and white and neatly described and stuff yeah. like that. And when, when she can't quite wrap her brain around that, she, you know, she gets very fixated on it. But anyway, mm-hmm. so she met me and she, she saw my pronoun pin and uh, she said, oh, you're a they, them. And I was like, yeah, those are my pronouns. And she was like, oh, so does that mean you're non-binary? And I said, yeah. And then she said, oh, so does that mean you're a girl? <laughs> Which was pretty funny. And I said, no, it means I'm not a girl and I'm not a boy. And she said, oh, okay. And like, gave me a big hug and ran off, which is very cute. Um, and then like the, the next time she saw me, uh, I forget how the conversation started, but um, she was, she basically ended up asking me like whether I was, you know, a girl non-binary or a boy non-binary, mm-hmm. um, you know, like which one I was born as, which I mean is generally considered to be a, a rude and invasive question, um, you know, but like she, she was, she was being curious and exhibiting poor boundaries, which is understandable. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, my job as an educator to, you know, correct without just making her feel bad about and it manage those boundaries as best you can yeah. so you know so I, I basically was like well i'm not i'm not telling you that uh mm. and just so you know that's you know usually kind of like an invasive question people mm. don't like answering it. it's a little rude and she's like okay but then you know she kept going on about it because you know that's she's learning and um she told me that she was like she thinks i'm i'm i was born a boy which is incorrect but it's neat that she thinks that yeah it's fair um What's interesting, there's at least two of the kids in the program, including her, maybe three, who think I'm a guy. And which is interesting because all of my coworkers, when they do accidentally misgender me, they misgender me as she. Mm. Um, but I've had um, students with autism, specifically all these students have autism, refer to me as he. Mm. And that just made me sort of speculate, like, I wonder if maybe people with autism tend to look at different different things to determine gender than mm. neurotypical people do. Like if they're looking at different cues or something. Mm. Remember we had had a conversation about this briefly. Also while we were at uh, Western Cider um, about whether or not it's just maybe, and I don't know if like all of the children that you work with are on the spectrum or in a spectrum of autism. Yeah. Not, um, not all of them, but a mm. lot of them. Um, but like, if like maybe just like those cues that we look for to determine like one or the other in terms of gender, you know if they're different for just like the younger set but i think um one of my coworkers at the, the summer camp i work at um she is a trans woman and you know she i i feel like she passes in my own personal opinion however irrelevant that may be um mm. but a lot of the kids were misgendering her and mm. uh she told me that she thinks it's her voice um she said that she read somewhere that that kids um, use voice as a big cue for gender mm. and that they really early on learn what a woman's voice sounds like from mom. That's fair. Um, which, okay. So, so, I mean, I guess it's interesting to think that maybe little kids might, you know, pay more attention to the voice than to your physical appearance. Yeah. One thing that really 
caught my attention though while we were having that conversation was um i think you at some point told oh yeah oh yeah because we were talking about like 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 she she there's a girl that i was talking to who I've, I've had a couple conversations with her about my assigned gender at birth and how it's like a giant mystery that i will not illuminate for her <laughs> <laughs> um and um she she's you know clearly trying to place me into one of two boxes that are in her head because you know she she has been taught as we all have that everyone fits into one of those two boxes mm. and that's sort of like one of the first things we try to figure out about somebody when we see them is like we're immediately putting them in one of those boxes mm. you know so you know because if, if you're telling a story about like someone you met on the street you're gonna be like oh yeah i saw this like guy on the street today or i met this lady at the bar or whatever mm-hmm. you know the gender is sort of the first thing you specify because that's the first thing we try to figure out when we try to like put them in one box or the other mm-hmm. So I ended up having a conversation with her about um, how biologically speaking, you know, not everybody fits into one of those boxes because there's people who have, you know, physical characteristics uh, that, you know, are quote unquote between male and female Um, because, you know, because biology is messy and it doesn't work very well. Mm. And, you know, so like most people will be pretty solidly biologically speaking male or female but like there's you know a significant number of people who are not solidly one way or the other mm-hmm. and they have you know physical traits of one or the other uh to to some degree and um i i think they the, the estimates say it could be as high as like one percent of the population and i'm just like pulling that number out of what i vaguely remember so don't quote me on it but like mm-hmm. you know a a number that is not insignificant you know um, and we just, we obviously don't know how many because most people aren't going and getting their chromosomes tested. That's fair. But anyway, yeah. what I think what I ended up saying to you at uh, at Western Cider was like you know, she was, she was trying to put me into one of these two boxes, but like the boxes are fake. The boxes don't exist. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like like I'm not saying that everyone is the same because it's visually apparent that we're not. You know, mm-hmm. like you know there are sort of two two different ways that people tend to look like two piles of characteristics that tend to go with each other mm-hmm. but like they're not boxes you know it's 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 lots of different things yeah yeah you know if you if you were some sort of like i don't know deity trying to sort people into two boxes that you just make made up there'd be like a lot of people where you kind of look at them and be like uh uh-huh. uh-huh. there's not a good box yeah it's because like we just made up these boxes i thought that was a very poignant point because i think that it applies to a lot of different things you and I were talking before we started recording, but this podcast is typically about, you know, like racial intersections. But I also genuinely believe that people who are marginalized, discriminated against, whether it's for one reason or another, there are obviously different reasons. And though that discrimination and marginalization takes place in different ways, depending on who you're talking about, right? But I, I do honestly believe that at the core, a lot of those people face the same struggle. On a certain level, and I think that the um, what you're talking about in terms of like the boxes don't exist is a very poignant point that applies to a lot of different things. And I want to talk about that. Uh, I thought that was really, I thought it was really interesting. Relevant point. Um, sort of what what gender people tend to clock you clock any given person as uh, can be influenced by like the the I guess race or culture of the person who's you know placing you in one category or the other. Um, and I've seen online, um, mostly on, on like trans Reddit forums, um, mm. for specifically trans men or trans mask people, um, like black trans mask people are more frequently told that they pass as a man by white 
commenters, um, which is sort of related to the concept of what women are supposed to look like, um, or what we have been taught women are supposed to look like, which is a, a white standard of beauty. Mm. And, um, you know, black, black women and, you know, and, and other women of color have been sort of, uh, reviled as like masculine and you know the you know like black ways of being beautiful have been called like oh that's masculine that's like gross and bad and like you know if you look beautiful according to these standards you're you're, you're not only ugly you're not even a woman because you're all mm. supposed to look white yeah and um and you know this is obviously related to colonialism because you get like the british and the french and i don't know the entirety of europe a lot of europe <laughs> white folks people who've decided that we are better because we're not you and we're going to call that betterness being white except if you're italian for a while i don't know <laughs> white was like a really except exclusive those, club except those italians yeah i mean like like there was like nazis who think like oh yeah the people who live across the alps are, those guys are, are fake white that's not that's not white yeah it's so interesting it's um... but anyway like go colonize everywhere and one of the methods of, of colonialization was sort of you know, stamping out the native cultures. And one way to do that mm. was to enforce a, a white standard of beauty on, on mm. all the women there and sort of say like, you know, if you want to be, you know, accepted as a woman in society and, you know, be beautiful and that, you know, that sort of means being able to like just move through society, mm. then you have to look like a white woman. So you have to dress like a white woman and, you know, act like a white woman and, you know, do your hair and makeup like a white woman. And, you know, that sort of means like, you know, it's getting rid of your your traditional dress and your traditional, well, your traditional traditions and your your ways of, of looking and you know thing, things that are going to be passed down from from mother to daughter are you know no longer cool because that's not white. You have to look white if you want to like you know move successfully through society because mm. we've you know enforced our society on you. And so you know it's 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 you you cannot look like your mother and grandmother looked anymore you you have to you know remove any trace of your own culture from your body in order to like succeed in this new world mm. and um and you know like and like i said then you know saying that you know your your native ways of being beautiful that you know you've had for a bajillion years not only are they ugly they are masculine like you're not even a real woman if you don't look like a white woman mm. um and you know so that that's been passed down to us in our current you know our standards of beauty and in just like the the ways that we think about people so like the ways that a lot of white people will look at you know especially black women and say and, and call them masculine mm -hmm. um or, or manly or aggressive or whatever mm -hmm. um anyway and then that trickles down to white people viewing um black trans mask people as much more passing than other black people will view them as mm. um which I've just seen from, you know, commented from like several black uh, posters of like, you know, like, yeah, whenever I ask white people to say I pass really well, but whenever I ask other black people, like, no, they clock me. Yeah. So it's kind of funny. It's interesting. It's interesting you're talking about like the trans and in intersectionalities with race um, in like in terms of like what like the white standard for beauty is and what that is. And uh, like it's hard to, def like it's, it's definable because we know it and we can see it and we kind of know what it is but it's not specifically definable and i feel like even if you if you fall outside of this standard right if you are 
you know, a black person or another person of color and you're trying to assimilate to, you know, some white standard of beauty, in a, a lot of ways you may you may never get there, right? For so many different reasons. Um, because historically, uh inheritance wise, gene wise, that's not who you are. Um, but also like from the outside looking in, people aren't going to see you that way because they know what whiteness is, even if it necessarily is hard to define. Um, there is um, a Supreme Court case that happened around the turn of the century going in from the 1800s to the 1900s. The Supreme Court was asked to define what whiteness was. And their answer was, you know whiteness when you see it. Right, yeah, it's like mm-hmm. it's like when you like like you see it, and you know whether it's white or you know whether it's not, and that's kind of what it is. And so, um, it, I think it relates to this conversation of boxes because we're putting people in boxes based on like what we can see, what we intuitively know. Um, yeah, and that sort of whiteness redefines itself exactly it, all it, the time. It redefines itself as what is acceptable, right? And oftentimes, um, what is profitable. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, yeah and, and like white white used to be a much more exclusive club. Like for a while there, like Irish people weren't white and Italians weren't white. Mm-hmm. And now at least in America, Italians and Irish people are definitely white. But like yeah. that's not necessarily the case in Europe. They got melded into the the the, the melting pot, right? Um I think a, this is another thing. Um one big common misconception is that the melting pot is like this metaphor for what the United States is, right? It's a giant melting pot of all these different cultures from all these different places. And right now it's, or at least in the last like 50 or so years, it's kind of been used as like this inclusive term, you know, a, yeah, a like, diversity oh, we're, term. We're all the same. Yeah, but really like when the melting pot was originally first introduced as an idea to people who are living in America, it was really sold to European immigrants who were italian who were irish who were polish who were eastern european um and it was this idea like hey like if we you know if we all buy into this idea of being american we're all going to melt into the same thing we're all going to be this white version of america and that's how the the melting pot idea became a thing and that's where it comes from so it's right that's like what you're saying it's like it's this redefinition of what is profitable, what is acceptable, what is okay, and what, you know. Mm-hmm. And so in terms of boxes, um, what would you say to those who would tell you that trans people, other people who are part of the alphabet mafia, um, that they are constantly putting themselves in boxes anyway? I guess you mean like with like labels and... Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess like... To a certain extent, labels are useful, you know, mm-hmm. it, it is useful to have some sort of way of thinking of yourself and way of defining yourself and, you know, sort of a, a, a word you can use to find other people like you, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and this applies to, you know, to gender and to sexuality, but also to things like, you know, like mental disorders, mm-hmm. um, you know, so like I have ADHD, I didn't get diagnosed till I was 16, but no one told me what it meant at that point. I didn't get treatment mm-hmm. until like halfway through college when I you know, fell into like a Wikipedia rabbit hole. Kinda. Yeah. Actually, I think it was a Reddit rabbit hole. But anyway, I ended up doing a bunch of research and going, oh my God, this explains my whole life. <laughs> um, but so at least in that case, you kind of go from from growing up, you know, you're going your whole life going, oh my God, what is wrong with me? Why can't I just do these things? Mm-hmm. You know, um, 
to you know to reading about it and going oh that's what's wrong with me yeah um it's you know it's it's sort of it's a big relief you know sort of to 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 be able to go oh i you know i had this you know adhd or whatever and it is a disability and that explains why i can't do these things mm. um and so you know so it's useful for me to be able to label myself adhd um because you know then i can find other people who have similar struggles i can realize you know sort of what my barriers are that other people don't have and you know how to get around them you know coping mechanisms i can learn and you know medical treatments um you know so that, that's useful um and you know similarly with like gender and uh you know gender it's useful to be able to you know have people to identify with mm. and you know because obvious uh, obviously i never felt particularly connected to you know the label of woman i always felt like i was really bad at being a woman and you know mm. it's like I didn't see any female role models that I felt like I could relate to mm. for reasons that are now obvious. <laughs> um, do you think that there, just to cut in here, do you think that those reasons are obvious now because, are, and is, are you saying that it's because you are the person that you are now, that's why you don't relate to them? Or do you think it's because that standard of what a woman is back to what we we're talking about is what it is. So it's like, well, do you think that if you had those, like, like if women, cause obviously there are women, who are, who awesome are more like you cool. right in ways um and do exist and are awesome and are really cool like you just said um do you think it's just that you didn't see them and so then there's no one to identify with because they're not part of like mainstream culture i think it was more like um i couldn't relate to them because i was trying to you know i was trying to you know i spent like a good chunk of time trying to like find like figure out like what kind of woman am I? And like, how do I fit into being a woman? How do I fit into womanhood and femininity and all that stuff? Mm. And um, the answer is I don't. Um, so sort of, I, you know, I was trying to relate to various female role models and then I realized, oh, I'm not actually a woman. Mm. Therefore, I'm not going to be able to relate to them as a gender role model. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so it's been useful for me to be able to say, oh, I'm not a woman, you know, so, so that's not where I'm going to find you know my 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 people sort of that's not where i'm gonna find who i am and how i want to you know how i want to be or whatever it's it is useful to have the label non-binary as you know a, as a big umbrella label for everyone who is not a man and not a woman mm -hmm. um and personally i'm not a huge fan of the term non-binary just because it feels very clinical okay you know because you know it's like it's got latin roots it sounds very medical and um and you know like man and woman don't don't sound that way you know they're like you know old english words with germanic roots and it just sounds like a very normal everyday english word whereas like non-binary sounds very you know very like uh invented term which i mean it is an invented term um it's definitely grown on me i can't think of a better one i i like having a label that i can use and a flag that i can use sort of as a way of saying like this is what i am these are this is you know my people and i can look into this community to find role models for how I want to move through the world. You know, I mean, there, there's not like a man flag or a woman flag. I mean, well, there, there probably is. Someone's probably made one. Um, but like, but there's a lot of other like sort of cultural trappings of manhood and womanhood. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like, like, you know, like clothes and just like rites of passage, behavioral standards and like, you know, sort of places where you go to gather with your, you know, your guy friends or your girlfriends, mm -hmm. um, you know, like like a bar or a nail salon or you know sort of mm -hmm. like gendered spaces mm -hmm. um where you go to gather with like that community and so you know sort of like the whole point of like the non-binary label is to sort of you know sort of have that kind of thing for for people who are not 
men or women and aren't going to be aren't going to feel like they fit into those spaces mm. um do you think it do you think that those people could fit into those spaces or like because i guess kind of the way that based on what you were just saying the way that i'm kind of thinking about it is like so you have like these gendered spaces you know whether it's the bar or the nail salon um whether it's the bachelor party or the bachelorette party and like what those two different things mean right but it's like let's say if you have someone who's non-binary i to me like wouldn't the hope be that the non-binary person could then based on whoever they are because like you're saying like just because you're non-binary doesn't mean that you're the same as the next non-binary person like maybe you as this non-binary person could find a way to fit in in this you know feminine space or this masculine space or whatever space you wanted to fit in i think that that sort of that would just be like a very you know individual thing in terms of like the you know the person and the space and the other people in that space Mm -hmm. um do you think that they should so do you think that non-binary people maybe like just in general want their own space i mean i think um i think that there's there's definitely a desire for like you know a non-binary space or or either space specifically for non-binary people or a space that is not gendered like i mean because you know a lot of these spaces you know like there are women at bars there are men who go to nail salons there are women who don't like going to nail salons and want to you know want to go on a hike or whatever Mm -hmm. um but you know but there are sort of spaces where like the you know mostly the women who hang out at, you know, the people who hang out at nail salons are women and the people who like go to knitting groups are women. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not like necessarily gendered, but you know, there's a heavy gender vibe to a lot of these spaces. Um, anyway, wait, God, I, was, I went on a tangent. Um, no, you're good. Okay. I'll, I'll work my way back around to it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I mean, so I guess, you know, any, anyone of any gender could feel welcome in any space, depending on who they are and who the people in that space are. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so I, I do feel it is, you know, it's important for, you know, if you, if you are a person to generally want to make other people comfortable in your space, mm-hmm. even if they're not of, you know, the gender that typically hangs out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think it is, you know, important for non-binary people to have, you know, spaces where it's explicitly not gendered. Um, mm. You know, so instead of saying like, oh, I'm going to go hang out with, you know, with the other, with these other people, it's like, no, they, like, these are my people. Um mm-hmm. Because, like, I, I do, you know, I like hanging out in female spaces, um, like, you know, like knitting groups and stuff. Like, a lot of my hobbies are, you know, hobbies that skew heavily towards towards women. Okay. Um, and, and and I like hanging out with women. Um, you know, most of them are nice people. Um, and also, like, I'm more comfortable hanging out with women just because I'm more, I'm better at it. Like, I'm more used to it. Um, you know, because growing up, it was always sort of default to hanging out with the girls because that's, you know. And that's women... What, that's what women do, right? Yeah, yeah. a lot of hanging out. But uh, and also, like, there is sort of this, um, at least in uh, American culture, I don't know about other places, um, there is sort of this default female camaraderie mm. um, that, you know, if you're a girl among girls, you're all friends, and you're all allied together against anyone who wants to hurt you. You, you, you men. Mm-hmm. Um, against the patriarchy. Well, kind of, yeah. So, like, you know, mm. if you're in a bar and some guy is hitting on you mm-hmm. and being a fucking weirdo, um, you're gonna look to another girl for help, and she's gonna help you even if she doesn't know who the fuck you are. Yeah. Or like, you know, if you're drunk in a bar and you're in a bathroom, and another girl walks in, you know, she's probably gonna throw a compliment your way. Yeah. Um, if you hang out with a girl and you guys get friendly, it's like very, it's just sort of like, yeah, of course you're gonna hug. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe someone will be like, actually, I'd rather not, but like, you know, there's a lot of just like openness, emotional openness that that is very nice. Um, and thanks, phone. Um, 
<laughs> and I I know that a lot of men are you know able to be open emotionally like that, but I feel like that's sort of not necessarily as easy to find. Um, I see a lot of men online talking about being lonely or just sort of you know from from reading what they say you can tell that they're very lonely and feel like they can't open up to their guy friends in the same way that they could to the hypothetical girlfriend that they can't get and you know so so part of me is like if i completely abandon femininity uh i might end up really lonely because it's easier to be open with women because they sort of expect it and if they they view me as a woman or as a feminine person they'll accept me into that Mm. um even though you know i I do not really feel like I belong, belong in women's spaces. Like I often feel welcomed there, but it often feels like, you know, all this isn't really where I go. Sort of like if, if you were to like be invited by your friend to like a church service and if, you know, not your church, not your religion, but everyone there is really welcoming, you might feel welcome, but you wouldn't really feel like it's like your place. Yeah. You know? So you're like, you know, I've felt very welcome in women's spaces, but I've never felt like it's like my place. Um, and, uh, I have once or twice felt welcomed into men's spaces, but, um, not, uh, sorry, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, <laughs> this is, this is the work group chat. I don't know what they're, oh, everyone's just hitting like on other people's texts. Thanks guys. Christ, I'm <laughs> fucking waiting. Uh... No, you're no, good. that'll turn off the alarm. I don't know the settings on this phone. Anyway, um, so I think I, um, once or twice I felt accepted into men's spaces, but not as a woman in a man's space, mm. um, but sort of as like one of the guys, which is it's a very hard feeling to articulate. Um, mm. But I feel like guys will often hang out with women differently than they hang out with men, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just a thing, and I think men, women tend to hang out differently with women than they do with sorry differently with men than they do with women. Um, and, you know, obviously not all men and women differentiate how they hang out with people. Mm-hmm. Um, not all people do it consciously. Not all, I think most people don't do it consciously. I mean, there's just dynamics, right? Yeah. And but then, then, you know, there's just like, you know, gender dynamics and it's not, yeah. it's not always because the guys want to like hang out away from the girls and be really sexist or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, only some of the times, I guess, I guess sometimes <laughs> it is, but like, I feel like if I had that experience, I'd be like, oh, those guys are assholes and I don't want to hang out with them. Yeah. Um, but I guess there, there's just a different, there's a different vibe when guys are hanging out with just guys, and once or twice I've been a part of that, and it's been like really fucking cool, mm. um, to be to be welcomed into that space. But that's just it's also just nice to have have a space where you're not really feeling those gendered vibes. That's fair. So what does a non-binary space look like to you? Uh, probably a lot of dyed hair, honestly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it would probably be a space that's like interest based mm-hmm. um, because, you know, if you say, hey, come hang out in my genderless hangout room, you're, you're going <laughs> to run out of things to talk about real quick. <laughs> like, you know, there, there's not a lot of these spaces, especially in real life, especially in like Missoula, Montana. Mm. I mean, probably more so in Missoula, Montana than in other places, Montana. <laughs> um, but, you know, so usually like online, um, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's sort of sort of just you know a place where people aren't presuming that you will behave according to one of these two you know categories man or woman but it's just sort of like uh a, a very freeing vibe so it sounds like 
correct me if I'm wrong, like if it has to do with like the like whatever the space is telling you. So like if you go to a bar, right, that might be considered to be a more masculine space. Not only because there's probably there's probably likely to be more men in a bar. Yeah, if there's like a bunch of dudes and there's like there's baseball like on the TV, baseball or and sports or lots of drinking, just like well, I guess it's like just masculine vibes, right? Of being like rowdy. Because like even if you're a woman, like you could exist in the space and you can embody these things right but just like that masculinity whereas like compared to somewhere like a nail salon or a beauty shop or um local yarn shop or a local yarn yeah. shop or joanne's a, fabric or like brunch <laughs> or, or or like a brunch restaurant mm -hmm. right um maybe there's going to be more feminine vibes attached to those places just based on what the the room like the room in the space is telling you so i guess the the vibes are sort of yeah, I mean, the, I mean, obviously, like if people are bringing in things they like, those a lot of those things are going to have a gendered connotation because mm -hmm. we we tend to gender a lot of things unnecessarily. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but I, I guess maybe then the stronger vibes you might detect might actually be like more cultural vibes. Um, like, uh, I get, I feel like a lot of non-binary spaces online are heavily like white vibe. <laughs> um, not not that there aren't, you know non-binary people of color because mm. there are there's a lot of them um but like a lot of non-binary spaces online are white yeah or very heavily white yeah and so you know so that's sort of the cultural vibes that get thrown out there i've been to a few queer events here in town in missoula um i i'm not queer at all i identify straight um that's but okay. I, I, accept I you. know. I, I accept know. You for who you are. I know. Thank you so much. It's going to take me a while to like internalize this and get, get used to this new concept. You're like, you, I didn't but, know, yeah. um, but I'll figure out a way to get past it. Yeah. Um, don't worry. Gay people exist. There are people who are in my life, and yeah. I support them. I have no issue with them on any level at all. I think um, I've encountered like a gay person at least once. You know, <laughs> probably once or twice here in Missoula. Yeah. Um, but I've been to a few of those events. Um, specifically, like, uh, not specifically, but like, specifically, I'm talking about in this example. Um, they've had like these skate nights, they're pretty cool. Um, it's a but it's a S G A Y T E, like skate, <laughs> skate. yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and I've been to a couple of those events, and I show up, I show up with like friends, friends who are queer, friends who are not queer. Um, but as often. I find in Missoula and in Montana, um, I often enter these spaces and I'm the only person of color. And I go to these events, these queer events, and people were just like staring at me. They're like, it's almost like, why, why is this black guy here? What is he doing here? And like, people were like uncomfortable and they like, don't want to talk to me. And I'm just there to be supportive and just to hang out with my friends and, you know, just be that person be that like that true ally I'm just, i guess i'm just bringing this up just because we're talking about like you know how some of these like queer spaces non-binary spaces can just be very white on the surface um and that's my general experience with that mm -hmm. um and I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of other people who have experienced some of them i mean obviously you're talking about it right now um I, I would love to know sort of what the percentages in terms of like the overall missoula population white people versus black people and other people of color and then like you know your average like skate night you know queer queer community gathering mm. in missoula what the you know racial percentage is there if maybe there's like a higher percentage of of white people in queer gatherings in missoula if there's a higher number of queer people 
who are white at queer gatherings if in in missoula and maybe other places too i just i don't know i just think it would just be interesting to think about and i mean my thought is maybe it would skew white in missoula because we're a college town and you know the university you know skews white for numerous historical reasons that you know just go back to i mean like, hey we're in montana I mean, very, Mon- very white state i think montana's probably gonna skew white anyway just just a tad you know, yeah just a little bit um, um but also but, it, like, but even that um, alone right there right has its ramifications yeah right and so um yeah and then you know and then like okay so now you're talking about a university well you know we know that white people tend to have more access to universities because you know in very recent history you know black people were explicitly oppressed instead of just like you know oppressed because no one has bothered to undo anything you know any any of the effects of historical laws and policies and blah 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 and also they're still a little bit racist or a mm. little bit racist or whatever mm. anyway so because of reasons you know <laughs> white people you know more white people going to university than black people and so then you know university is going to skew white in a state that skews white and i feel like queer people tend to also gather at universities or a lot of people are more more able to realize that they are queer and then come out and join a queer community when they're at a university just because like you know universities tend to be like young and queer so like if you are a queer and person young and, and young and liberal yeah yeah and, you know, so if, if you are a you know queer person you're you are much more likely to have the freedom to like come out and find a community and then go to skate night at a yeah. university than you know if you're like not at a university <laughs> if you're like doing like you know the blue collar youth thing and mm-hmm. you know it's just harder to find an environment where you can do that not only not only because of the fact that universities tend to be more accepting but also just because like you have more time at a university and also you're like hanging out with like people your age who are like roughly your demographic probably um and you know a lot of them are probably queer too so you know it's just you're gonna hang out with a lot of other people like you whereas like if you are immediately going into the workforce you probably do not have a ton of time to hang out with other people like you and form your own little queer commune or whatever Anyway, and then there's a lot of white folks at skate night. <laughs> <laughs> to get back to the conversation about boxes, you know, I think boxes are good to like a certain point, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like we can be put into the boxes that maybe we want to be put in. Hopefully that's hopefully that's the way that it'll work, right? Yeah. Not like, that it I've, plays I've out. talked to some people who uh, have informed me that they like actively identify with the gender they were assigned at birth. Actively. Yeah, well, I, like, I like, I remember talking to my sister once when I was still trying to figure out, like, okay, is this, like, is non-binary accurate description of me? And I was like, Sarah, do you feel like you are, like, a woman? And she's like, well, of course I feel like I'm a woman. I was like, what the fuck? Like, what the fuck is that like? Interesting. Yeah, so she's, she actively feels like she's a woman and she enjoys being a woman and she likes being a woman and she, you know, like, wants to, you know, be as much like a woman as she can be. I wonder if a man would say the same thing. I feel like there are men who enjoy being men and actually like being men. I feel like there's a lot, a lot of people who like never really thought about it and don't particularly strongly identify with their gender, but that like, you know, they also don't particularly feel like they don't fit with their gender. You know, they're just kind of like, Oh, whatever. Yeah. And that's kind of, I guess that's kind of what I'm getting at. It's like, would someone who is of the, what's the word I'm looking for? Who's not of the minority, who's not of the marginalized majority. Well, because it's not because like we're talking about like men like male and male and female or man and woman right that's not oh oh yeah male. yeah because so, male is sort of the less male is the default and women is sort of like 
the gender. Shifting. Exactly. That's what we're talking the about. The gender so, with the most gender. So like if you're talking so like a lot of times if you're talking about gender, you're talking about things that are not men. Right? Oftentimes, like gender studies or women's studies. Exactly. Or they're queer studies or they're you know, they're focused on other things yeah. that, that don't necessarily have to do with men. There's authors and then there's women authors. Exactly. And there's like so comedians and then there's trans kids. If you're talking about the thing that is not the norm, the not not what is considered to be whatever the standard is, right? So that's why I wonder like you know, I wonder if a man would say the same thing in the same way that a woman would say, oh, I really enjoy being a man or, you know, yeah. or like, for example, maybe, maybe women would tend to find more active enjoyment in being women or because I don't maybe they've just maybe there's more pressure on women to sort of actively find pride in being women because, you know, because they do face a lot more sexism and discrimination mm-hmm. for it. And so there's sort of, you know, there's sort of a lot of like, like, no, fuck you. Like. This is what I am, and I'm proud of it. Yeah. As opposed to, like, I mean, men probably often don't encounter those kinds of issues, so yeah. they don't have, so they don't have to express those kinds of feelings. I really relate this to, obviously, like race, right? Um, we're talking about. Ah, oh, fuck you! I'm proud to be white. <laughs> exactly. So, like, <laughs> like you know, yeah, and obviously, says that, and obviously, there are people who would say that, mm-hmm. and it's like what you're saying, and so it kind of like it's like that that emotion that that sentiment of i'm proud to be this thing it's like you have to be proud of it because you are this thing you're never going to really be able to detach yourself from it based on how you feel and also like there's a lot of like white people who say like oh there's no such thing as like white culture like what do you mean it's like yeah there's white culture and white culture is racism and slavery because like that's the only unifying factor of whiteness yeah you know, that's like, yeah, I mean, like I can be, I can be proud because I have like German ancestors and I can think those guys are cool. I can mm-hmm. think like, oh yeah, those, you know, I have Moravian ancestors who like were mm-hmm. in the Moravian church and it's super dope. And yeah. one of them was named Zinzendorf or whatever. And I can be proud of that. But like, if I, if I were to be proud of being white like that, that would like white is only defined in order to exclude people who aren't white. Yeah. It's... And so that would basically just be like, oh yeah, I'm really, I'm really proud of my racist ancestors. It's the whole story. I, and that's. Not particularly oh, i talk about this all the time keller i talk about it all the time it's just like it's probably like one of my biggest personal advocacies is we need to get away from using the terms black and white because to be black and to be white is and to be in relation to one another to be a part of this story right where black is in relation to white in this larger story of what racism is and so if i'm going to refer to myself as black i'm essentially saying you know here are these characteristics about me i'm black from context i live in america you can probably discern that you know my ancestors lived here 400 years ago and they were probably slaves and that's how i'm here and if you are white you live in america more than likely your ancestors probably lived here in america and they were either poor or they were slave owners and like it's it's I obviously a very his, big historically speaking, I know of one ancestor who's a slave owner. My my mom's dad did a lot of genealogical research, mm-hmm. and uh, he discovered some distant relation of ours who who was a slave owner. And towards the end of his life, when he was like, you know, not all mentally there, he was very very concerned about this fact because he was just like so embarrassed and ashamed of it, and he like kept telling my mom like, don't don't let anyone find out. Oh. <laughs> Don't tell the neighbors. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to talk. So to wrap up here, um, 
I'm probably just going to go on another half hour tangent. <laughs> That's okay. Um, to wrap up here, I guess, is there anything else that you would want the audience to know or to understand? Um, or is there any other advice that you would want to give? Um, just from your own personal experience as Keller. Um, I would think if if you are thinking of make you know considering making big medical changes to your body, um, and you're having a hard time deciding whether or not it's right for you, like ask yourself what your deal breakers would be. Um, so like when I decided to go on testosterone, um, I went to you know the Planned Parenthood prescriber with a whole list of questions, and she told me like what are you, you know, ask yourself, what are your deal breakers? Like what, what effects of testosterone could you absolutely not deal with and would be totally unacceptable? Um, and I realized that I didn't really have any, like, I feel like anything that would be negative, you know, like balding or something like there's a medical treatments to address it. And B, I feel like it would be worth it. Um, so I realized like, Oh, I don't really have any big deal breakers for that. Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. You know, if you're considering getting top surgery, like what would be your deal breakers? And, you know, I mean, obviously, like, getting a massive infection and dying, that'd be a pretty big deal breaker. But, you know, then ask, like, okay, how likely is it? You know, how likely are various complications? And what are the ways to deal with those complications? You know, like, if you end up with, like, being asymmetrical or having, like, weird dog ears or something, like, those are all treatable with revisions, you know? Mm. So if you feel like you can handle going in for a second minor surgery um, and have a, a financial way to do that, then, like, you know, that probably makes that much less of a concern. Um you know, if, if you, if having scars is a deal breaker surgery wise, then, you know, that would sort of be a much bigger thing to consider. Cause like, you're going to have scars. That's, mm. you know, that's what surgeries do. Um, so yeah, you know, uh, that's, a, that's a good thing to consider what your deal breakers are. Um, and also like, you don't have to make, make, don't feel like you have to be rushed to make a decision soon. Like, you know, you are not on a timeline of transitioning and you know there, mo most often you are not in a situation where you only have one chance and you will never be able to you know to do it later if you decide not to um so you can always like just take things really slow um like i'm on a lower dose of testosterone because i just wanted to go slow and have the chance to stop if i felt like it wasn't right um and also i haven't told my parents yet so <laughs> that you're on testosterone yeah and most of it was i felt like i just i wanted to like do it like for me without like them being parents about it mm -hmm. um and part of me just wants to see like how long it it'll take until they notice <laughs> um you they will notice eventually I, I feel like if i end up growing a beard they will <laughs> that's fair but like judging from my brother i probably won't have to worry about that for like a decade <laughs> <laughs> um i'll tell them at some point you know yeah at some point before it becomes too awkward. <laughs> yeah, when you're ready. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, but anyway, you know, so you can always take these things slow and then, like, back off if it's not right. And then start again if you decided it is right. And, you know, you don't have to live up to the standard, you know, what, what you think the standards are of whatever label you've chosen. You know, just, like, don't, 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 don't worry about the labels. Like, just chill out a little bit, you know? Yeah. Uh... Hang out with people who don't make you feel like shit. If you hang out with people and they make you feel like shit, maybe stop hanging out with them. Yeah. 
don't hang out with people who make you feel like shit. That is something I can definitely reiterate, reiterate to you. Yeah. The audience. If they make you feel terrible, <laughs> stop hanging out with them. And if it's family that's making you feel like shit, if you are able to, it's totally fine to just not talk to them either, you know? You you can you can cut them off. You can only talk to them once a year. You know, you you don't have to answer the phone every time your mom calls if your mom makes you feel like shit. I fully support this idea, 100%. Yeah. You, you don't owe family stuff just because they're related to you. Uh, but you do owe yourself a happy life that is as fulfilling and not full of toxic people as you can make it. Here, here. Uh, find a landlord that lets you get a cat. <laughs> well, Keller, thanks so much for chatting with me for like, well, it's been about two hours. The podcast, ah. won't, the podcast episode <laughs> won't be two hours. Long. Good. Um, but thanks for sitting down and chatting with yeah. me about all this stuff. And it's always really we always have so much fun talking. But uh, give me a hug. You're great. And uh, yeah, I'll let you know. Uh, I'll let you know when things happen. Cool. cool.